Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. We're doing another re-tier podcast. Come on, it's off-season content. You know that this is one of my favorite exercises to engage in, is going back and looking at previous draft classes, right? How have these players performed prior to where we are right now in the NBA? How can we evaluate their performance where would I classify them right now as far as tiers and or rankings, depending on some of the conversation my guest wants to get into? And what are some of the lessons that we can learn from where we were at previously, where our evaluations are now, and how can we take those lessons with us into the next draft classes we do? We will eventually approach talking about the 2023 NBA draft. I'm not there yet. I promise I will eventually get there but there's so many fun nba topics especially with the young guys to talk about and in case you missed the episode with chuck that i just did we did the 2021 nba draft class retiers i have a very special guest on with me to do the 2020 class and i think this class means a little bit something extra to him just as it does me from the no ceilings collective maxwell maxwell how you doing buddy I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back. And yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to talk 2020 with you because this was the year that I first really got into following the draft heavy and just looking up games of guys that I'd never seen before, looking up international film for the first time as far as full games and not just highlights. Uh, so this, <laughs> this class holds a special place in my heart and revisiting it. It was really fun to just look back and be like, oh man, I thought this about this guy and this about that guy. And I'm excited to relive it a little bit, but also just project forward from, from where we are now. Yeah. I thought about asking you to come on for the, the 2021 class, but I actually, I, I saved this one for you, Maxwell. I think it's going to be interesting for my audience to listen to some of your viewpoints about this class, because you weren't exactly doing the same type of public draft content that you mm-hmm. are now with the No Ceilings Collective. So I think some of your viewpoints on these players might be new, at least to my podcast audience. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a nice little litmus test for me as well. I get to I get to see what's really changed in your evaluations from 2020 all the way through to where you are right now working with us at No Ceilings and, and how you've grown as a scout, as an evaluator. I say all the time to you, especially on this podcast feed, but even when we're just in group chats, I really respect and admire your opinion in the NBA draft space. And I, I really want to see where you were and, and truly measure how much you've grown talking about a mm-hmm. class like this on the podcast. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this one with you, Maxwell. But before we do, I'll start this pot off the same way I did with Chuck. We just had the 2022 Las Vegas Summer League wrap up. The Portland Trailblazers ended up being the New York Knicks in the championship game. So the Trailblazers got all the fancy rings. Trenton Watford was asking everybody for the ring size. He was excited as that game was, <laughs> was coming to an end. As we do leave this year's Summer League behind us, are there, are there any thoughts that you just want to get out in the open any top performers you wanted to shout out from the mvp or the all first or second teams any thoughts you want to uh, get out of the way regarding summer league yeah i just want to say i think this draft class is really good um i i am thrilled that there is i think a real level headedness among the general draft community as a whole too uh that a guy like jabari smith had had a couple rough shooting games out of the gate but it still seemed like everyone was just talking up. Wow. He, he looked so great on the defensive end. 
Like it just seems like there is a real crop of fantastic, great players coming into this. And I think so much of the conversation through like the early and middle part of this draft cycle was about how there's no true number one guy. Like this draft doesn't have a definitive number one pick and people were kind of pouty about it. Yeah. And talking about it as if it was a problem. And then summer league gets here and it's like, these guys are all really good. Like we have a new group of great players who've come into the league and I, I'm really excited about it. I thought, yeah, Keegan uh, was named MVP. I thought he was tremendous. His shot making profile just continues to grow. And I, I love to see that. Uh, but yeah, I thought Paulo was excellent. Um, and I'm, I'm not panicking on Jabari Smith one bit. Uh, I was, I think the one guy at no ceilings that had a number one on their board. Um, I I'm not panicked about it. I, I wrote about it in my article. I think with him, it's going to be a long game. I think that he has the most work to do out of anybody in that top group. I'm still just confident he's going to get there. Uh, but I, I was really impressed with basically everybody that was a top 10 pick that managed to, uh, to actually play because we unfortunately had some injuries uh you know suhan had covid and they didn't want to rush him back which made sense to me uh so we didn't get to see everybody but out of everybody that we saw i was i was thoroughly impressed if anybody hasn't taken the opportunity to read maxwell's summer league breakdown that he did over on no please make sure you go ahead give that a read through he goes into a lot more detail than he would be able to get to in a small segment like this on a podcast, I know our own Nick, Nick, Nick Ager Johnson. He also wrote a piece regarding his summer league diary. What were his mm-hmm. real thoughts and observations and feelings of being at summer league for the first time? I think we're going to have a little bit of a combo piece on the Substack as well for everybody who went out there later this week. So definitely make sure you're, you're keeping up with all of the reactionary content from no ceilings regarding the Las Vegas summer league. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite times of year. Now we move into the off season, which is I'm sure as it is for you, Maxwell, it's, it's a reflectionary period for me, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a time of the year where I get to look back. I get to look at all of the things I feel like I did really well as a scout, all of the things that I definitely need to continue to brush up on and improve. And in, in figuring out some of those lessons, really how you sit down and compare where you're at with, the draft class that just happened is to go back and look at the prior draft classes. Right. And that's why I was excited to dive into the 2021 class and do that retier exercise with Chuck and why I'm even more so thrilled to go back and do the 2020 retier with you because 2020, I don't know how it landed for you, Maxwell. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this in a second, but it, it was a divisive draft class for me. And I say that because I really feel like a lot of my opinions as a scout and as an evaluator shifted with this class, right? Like we had, Mm -hmm. we had Luka Doncic come in um, years prior and, and we, we see more of these heliocentric offenses with these big jumbo creators who can make everything happen for their team. But this is the first draft class where I feel like after researching, after ranking, after the draft happens and I get to watch these guys in the NBA my viewpoints really started to shift more so towards having positional size, versatility on the wing, just more size and length on your team and in your starting lineup in general that can do so many different things on the court. It's just becoming more difficult for these smaller guards to really operate and do the same things that they might have been able to do in spades, even like five or six years ago 
Um, yeah. Somebody who I held in high regard, Cole Anthony, was was number one overall on my board that year because I really thought that he could have a Damian Lillard type arc to his career and be one of these legitimate superstar guards who can make a shot from anywhere on the floor and emerging pick and roll creator was, wasn't really gifted on the defensive end because of his size, because of his lack of length, but he he's tough as nails. He's a competitor. He's a leader on the court. And I really thought that that package would be able to translate in a similar way. And it's not that it's not that Cole doesn't have a lot of talent, to work with right I, I feel like it's more so just where the game is going and that if you're not a guard like a Tyrese Maxey for example who you and I were we're, we're gonna gush about Tyrese oh, on yeah. this podcast obviously but he he has that outlier trait at his side right he has that speed to where he can just make things happen and he can boogie he can dance with the ball in his hands but really his north south is end-to-end speed He's up there with some of the best guards that, that we have in the NBA. And I think unless you have some of those outlier athletic traits and you're undersized, it's just so much harder to do in today's game what you might have been able to do even just a few years ago, like I said. So where where are you kind of at on this 2020 class as a whole, Maxwell? Just give me some of your general thoughts from where you were evaluating this class then and then maybe any lessons that you might be able to take away big picture before we dive into some of the names. Yeah, so I I think I fell into a couple traps with this draft class. I think the first one, like you already mentioned, was positional size. I think I just didn't – I think I got it to an extent, but I think there were other areas where I was like, oh, but this guy is the exception, and that guy was not the exception. <laughs> um, so I made that mistake a few times. I think I really got sucked into a lot of the chatter about the draft class is not being good. And I think the way that I responded to that was I overrated a lot of older prospects um, okay. because that was like a big thing that year was everyone was just like, this draft class isn't any good. And I think a lot of that stemmed out of COVID and the fact that everything was shut down for a long time and everyone just went through and nitpicked the film to death. Uh, and it is like, it is a, a draft class where the, the bottom falls out of it pretty severely at a certain point. <laughs> and there weren't a ton of like guys in the second round that stuck. There were very few. Um, so like, so to an extent that was sort of true, but I think my response to that being, well, I'm just going to rate every older guy that I, I know had a good college season highly and kind of write off everybody else ended up being a big mistake in hindsight. Uh, and I do think that I also just underlooked like strong productivity to a degree. And like, we'll talk about certain guys that I missed on, but there were other guys that had good production where I was like, I just, I just don't think they're going to be very good. And then I ended up putting them behind a lot of guys that never even came close to, to hitting. Uh, and Peyton Pritchard was like the big one on that front where I was, I got sucked into looking at too much of his early college career and being like, well, his three point percentage kind of wavered a little bit. And it's like, well, at the end he could clearly shoot and I should have recognized sure. that, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot of lessons for sure. Um, but I don't hate how I did all in all looking back at this class. I can live with it. So usually when I go back and, and I've mentioned this on prior podcasts, when I do an exercise like this, usually when I look back, I will go through ideally really like my top three tiers. And some mm -hmm. of this will even bleed into my top four tiers. And I will look at I really want to figure out not just who the stars could be from the class, if there are any potential stars or potential MVP candidates or all NBA players or, or all stars, who are the starters 
from each draft class, right? Like who are mm-hmm. the guys who we're betting on if they aren't there quite yet within a few years, they're going to hit their potential, hit their ceiling and, and be starter level players in, in the NBA. And we like to go into each draft class, all sunshine and rainbows, thinking about the positives and how good all these guys can be. And we walk away with like 37 first round grades on, on <laughs> prospects, which is exactly what I did in the 2021 class. And in 2021, as I talked about with Chuck, it's a little bit of an abnormal draft class because usually we don't see more than I want to say it's about like 13 to 15 guys every time I go back any further than like three years and I look mm-hmm. at the re-tiering and I, I feel like it's about 13 to 15 guys that, that I can say with confidence like these guys are going to be starters in the NBA moving forward right like we start out so positive about a class when we first evaluate and then each year that number kind of dwindles away and dwindles away well we're we're two years essentially removed from 2020 now and we're getting at least from what i can count very very close to to that 13 to 15 number across i mean even the top four tiers i have so let, let, let's give my little refresher that i do every single time i do one of these exercises i go through my tiers so tier one for me i would consider to be an mvp caliber player and yes i do consider that a step up from a tier two which would be a potential all-star i know you'll talk about your tier system in a little bit maxwell you mm-hmm. do it similar to chuck to take the the all nba factor into account i think you and i would agree regardless of how you want to define that top tier it's a step above just can you be an all-star like one time in your career, like maybe twice so like that's a big differentiator the between those top two tiers and then tier three I categorize you as a starter on on a good to really good to to potentially you know excellent team in the playoffs right like like we're not talking about the bottom feeders of the NBA we're not talking about the the the, the play-in type teams I'm talking about like you're legitimately locked into the playoffs you can be a starter at some point in your career on a good team that's how I define tier three and then tier four tails off a little bit in terms of you may still have starter talent right you might be like the fifth guy that gets shoehorned into that lineup or you might be a sixth man or a specialist who can play starters minutes but maybe you're still coming off the bench for your team but that that tier four and I think how you'll explain your tiers in a second Maxwell we kind of have similar cutoffs like from that point on it dives. So, so tiers five through seven are really where I want to talk about like bench players, right? Like seventh through ninth men or 10th or 11th men or like the end of bench, like your, your fringe NBA players, the guys who are just hanging on or, or are getting their cups of coffee, but maybe their coffee's running down their cup in, in the NBA. Like those are the types of guys that we're talking about. So I love to measure starters with those first three tiers. And as I sit here and I count these players that I re-tiered, I got 13 guys that I feel really good about. If I throw in tier four, I got 18 guys. So we're only two years removed, Maxwell. And again, Mm -hmm. these, these, these tiers, they usually dwindle as we go year by year by year, as more guys weed themselves out and we figure out who these guys are as they get different opportunities. Maybe they move to a second team and get a second chance and then they get to prove themselves, or maybe they don't prove themselves. We figure these guys out as the years go on. But the fact that I can sit here and I'm already at that number, only two years removed. I think that does give a little bit of an argument to maybe this was a little bit poorer of a draft class 
than we initially thought, just from a depth perspective. Now, my counter to that, and I think one of the counters that you might take, Maxwell, is these, these 18 names that I do have in front of me for my tiers one through four, I really like a lot of these guys. And I think that they are going to be mainstays in the NBA for years to come. So while I might not have as large of a back end of tier three and tier four guys as some other draft class, I do really like the guys that, that I have in front of me. So Maxwell, I, I, I've talked long enough in this part of the podcast. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you yeah. walk through your tier system for the audience and give some of your general thoughts as you, as you look back and you actually rank these guys and, and how you feel about this draft class two years removed from the draft. Yeah, so I, I feel pretty similar. I think one thing I thought going in was I, I really thought at the time this was going to be a pretty deep draft class. And I mm-hmm. I don't think that's truly the case. Um, I, I believe at the time that my idea was kind of this draft is pretty thin at the top, but there's going to be a lot of guys that stick around long term. And I, I think we are at a point where yep. we're realizing that's not really going to be the case. But I do agree with you that I really like a lot of these guys in tier three and tier four. And even as I go further down my board, there's still guys where, you know, I'm slotting them low, but there still really is a path, a real path um, and some real specialty skills that like if other things get rounded out, there's easily guys that I could talk myself into uh, jumping up a tier a year from now, but I, I don't really feel good enough to do it yet. Um, so my tier one is guys who I could see making an all NBA team. Uh, I've got two guys in that tier. Uh, and then I have tier two, which is uh, guys who I could see making, you know, an all-star game or two, probably more, uh, possibly more, I should say. Uh, tier three are guys that I see as starters or closing lineup players mm-hmm. on a potential very good playoff team. Um, so maybe they don't start, but maybe they finish and, and vice versa. Um, and then tier four are guys that I could see being similarly being on very good playoff teams, but probably more as a rotation style player. Yep. Uh, so not necessarily somebody that's going to be a starter, maybe a starter, but probably not a finishing lineup guy. Um, and these are guys who either are there right now, um, but I don't see a whole lot of upside for or players who I think could get to that point. Uh, tier five are guys that I think have a place in the league either right now or could get there reasonably soon. Uh, and then I had tier six, which I think is like my favorite tier. This whole thing is the sicko, <laughs> which, which are the guys that do not have a place in the NBA, like solidified yet, but I think could. Uh, and then tier seven are just guys that I don't really see as NBA players. Um, but you mentioned like earlier that your top four tiers, yeah, I believe it was 19 guys. I've got 22 in my top four tiers. So there was a couple guys. There's one guy that I really like a lot more uh, than most people, but I, I did sneak a couple extra guys in there. Um, I, I could see the argument that maybe a couple of them are a little egregious, but I, I have a pretty firm belief in some of these players. So yeah, to your point, it, it doesn't normally weed itself out that quickly. Um, but that's that's just kind of the way that, that class broke. But I mean, I look at tier one, tier two, and tier three, and they're just some guys that I, I really adore and think are true winning players with positional size that do so many little things well. So it's it's exciting nonetheless. So let's let's start breaking down some of these tiers. I, I will definitely have some fun walking through your tier three and your tier four and even getting a little bit deeper. I will certainly give you some some time to shine at the resident <laughs> draft sicko mm-hmm. and no ceilings to talk about some of those guys. But we have to start at the top 
I have one player in yeah. my tier one. And it's, it's funny when I did this exercise last year, because I didn't do a tiered system when I started out draft deeper draft deeper started at the very back end of the 2020 cycle. I just, I tried to put together a, a, as good of player rankings as I possibly could for the amount of evaluation time that, that I, I didn't really put towards evaluating the class as I haven't in prior years or, or even these last few years, because I just wasn't at that point in, in creating content. I was trying to get the podcast started and all, all that nine yards. So I didn't have a tier system, but when I did it last year, I looked back and I really feel like I would have felt the same way and that I didn't have, I didn't, I, I really don't think I would have had any tier one players when I would have done this in 2020. There's one name who I do have now as a tier one guy, my only tier one guy who really separated himself from the pack and put himself on the stage as I'm good. I'm not only good. I'm damn good. I'm so damn good that I can potentially carry the team I'm on right now to multiple playoff series wins. If I continue my upwards trajectory, I can absolutely win an MVP award and I can be one of the best two-way wings in the NBA. And I'm talking about Anthony Edwards, um, the, the 6'5 guard who has really taken the Minnesota Timberwolves by storm. His first year, we saw some awesome promise along with a few other names at the guard spot that we'll talk about at different points in this podcast. But he really exploded in a big way last year on that playoff stage for Minnesota. And I've got to put you in a tier one category, not even just having you as a potential all-star when you break out in the way that you do and you, you assert your dominance as arguably the best player. I, I would say inarguably um, the, the best player on his team when he has another all-star level player right next to him, who is much more experienced than he is in Carl Anthony towns. Like to me, Anthony Edwards is the guy He's going to be the guy moving forward. Anytime that you can have an athlete who is literally in like the 0.01 percentile mm -hmm. uh, of, of that top rank of all athletes in the NBA, who can make the type of shots that he can, who can handle the ball like he can, who is the terror in transition like he is, who when he's locked in on the defensive end, he has the body, the athleticism, the motor to go sit and guard virtually anyone on the perimeter that he wants to he can match up with fours if somebody tries to take him into the post he is strong-willed he's tough and he doesn't back down he's not going to be pushed around down low around the basket he can rebound the ball on both ends becoming a a budding i won't say better budding playmaker out of, out of pick and yeah. roll sets and when he has opportunities to get downhill and, and and find teammates he's getting better at doing that i wouldn't say he's 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 awesome at it right now but he's still so young we're talking about a guy who's going into year three uh, of the nba with with so much other offensive responsibility that's on his shoulders him becoming a much more efficient scorer and recognizing what he's good at and leveraging those strengths to his advantage. I really thought we saw more later last year of him getting downhill, of him attacking the basket, of him not settling for all of these pull-up three-point shots. And then we, we sort of saw the reverse of that in the playoffs, but what was so amazing was he was making all of those yeah. tough jump shots. And he it, it just seemed like you couldn't throw him off of his game. He really feels like, 
He has arrived. He's here. And no one's going to tell him what he can or can't do on the basketball court. He's just so sure of himself. And obviously those characteristics bleed into his personality and who he is off the court as well. And that's really why I think that he's not just one of these top tier athletes who can play the game of basketball at a high level. I, I really think he is much more of a high character guy than I could have seen coming in. And I truly believe that he's a leader on and off the floor for his team. And so that's why I would categorize Anthony Edwards as a tier one player. Why, why do you have Anthony Edwards as a tier one player as you do Maxwell? What, what, what have you been most impressed by as, as he's had these two years in the NBA? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And I, I think to your point about the playoffs, like he's very clearly just a winner. Yeah. And a tough guy and a guy who can, you can go to war with Anthony Edwards and it makes the pre-draft concerns about him liking playing football seem very silly in hindsight. <laughs> like people were talking about him, like, Oh, he's, he's going to like bring a football to practice instead of a basketball. Like the, the way that people talked about it was just absurd looking back. Um, I think your points about him being a budding playmaker are true. I think that that is the one area of his game that didn't quite scale all the way to the playoffs. Like everything else was there. His three was 40.4% from three on over nine attempts per game in his six playoff games. Um, but yeah, when, when defenses are a little bit more keyed in, it was evident that that's like the one area that you really need to take that next big step forward. Um, but he's a phenomenal athlete and he's 20 years old. So to be a 20 year old putting up, you know, 25, four and three in the playoffs, I, I, I signed me up, you know, every single time. I think the other thing, uh, with him is his defense and just being a little more consistent on that side. But again, it's scaled well to the playoffs. And when he had to be keyed in all the time, he was, yeah. um, I thought he did a pretty pretty damn good job defensively um in the playoffs had a block percentage of 2.6 steal percentage of 1.4 like those are our numbers that you can live with especially when he's doing so much for you on the offensive end um i would like to see him get to the free throw line a little bit more i uh, it's always gonna be tough to get calls when you're built like that uh because you win the contact so often uh <laughs> that a lot of times the referees aren't going to be as sympathetic toward you um it's gonna be interesting to see what he looks like with kind of a bit of change in how the floor is going to be spaced next season, given the construction of Minnesota's roster going forward. Um, but for me, yeah, it's, it's just con continuing to make better reads on the ball, um, being a little bit more creative with his passing, seeing more options in situations where he's either operating out of isolation or running a pick and roll and uh, just expanding. Like right now, it seems like he's developed a lot of the basic reads a little bit better. And when those aren't, there as much he can get a little bit tripped up and end up settling more consistently. So uh, it's, it's all things that are going to come in time. Uh, these are things that players tend to get better at. Look at Jason Tatum. That was a very easy criticism. You yep. could have made at him when he was 20 years old was that, you know, he's phenomenal at scoring, but he's got to play, make more for others to open up everything else. And it, the same can be said for Ant. So uh, I, I really think he's going to get there. I just love his mentality. I love that. He seems like a fun teammate. He seems like a good vibes guy. Uh, but just unbelievable production for a player his age combined with his athleticism and just that mentality in the playoffs. I, I could not be more excited to watch this guy's career play out. Do you think Anthony Edwards is in the conversation of like top 25 player in the NBA? Is it more like top 20? Do we get, get even higher? Like I, I wanted to throw you something about 
where does he fall in like the top X amount of wings? But then depending on how you define the wing position in the NBA yeah. nowadays, it gets a little messy, but like, let's just, let's just take the overall league because I do think he needs to be in one of those conversations where, where is he knocking at on, on the door most for, for you in the top X amount of players? I feel NBA, like he would, think? he would probably end up top 20 for me personally. Okay. Just, based on what I like and what I value. So if we're talking about who's better, if we just go through like the conferences, uh, you know, I, I think Jimmy Butler is better than him right now. Embiid, Giannis, Chris Middleton, probably. Maybe, maybe not. That's, that's just like a preference thing. Uh, I think Trey Young is better than him right now, just because he can do more creatively, even though he's a bad defender. Uh, I take Tatum ahead of him. I take Duran ahead of him. So it's like seven guys in one conference. So he he's got yeah, he's he's probably a top 20 guy right now with a chance to to do even better next season. I agree with you. I, I think his his ceiling is astronomically high. And yeah. if you're doing like if you're doing like a top 25 under 25 rankings, which spoiler alert, something like that may or may not be coming on this podcast feed a little bit later this week. Um, if you're doing a rankings like that, I mean he is he is absolutely up there. He's proven that he's up there with the likes of Luca, the likes of Trey, Trey Young that you mentioned, Zion, John Morant, like these are the types of names that he's in contention with. And the best part about that is these are all guys who they're, they're in contention with the, the best of the best who are even more experienced than they are in, in the NBA. So the fact that like you can already throw Anthony Edwards in that type of a conversation with those guys who are in conversation with the other guys who are much more experienced and ahead of them, like like Giannis, like Kevin Durant, like Kawhi Leonard, like Paul Durant, like you, you just rat, rattle off all, mm-hmm. all the names at every position. These guys are, they're already here and they're so young, which makes me think about like, what is, what is his ceiling, Maxwell? Like it's if he's insane. already it here is, where yeah. he is now, like where, where, where does this end? Yeah. He, he has an MVP level ceiling. I, I truly believe. Um, I, yeah, I, I just think that the things he needs to get better at are things that we just see young players get better at yep. every single time without fail. Uh, so that's that's really encouraging. Um, a question I want to ask you, because you just mentioned his name. Gun to your head, would you rather have Ant or Zion going forward? It's got to be Ant, right? No, I'm still going to take Zion. Really? Okay. I'm, st- I'm still going to take Zion because Zion Williamson – when he's been on the floor, when he's healthy, he's unreal. He's he's the he is one of the best players that we have in the NBA. Like I, when he was on his absolute tear, right before a lot of this injury craziness happened, yeah, I, I would have had him as like a top twelve player in, in the NBA, and I I might have been reckless enough to rank him inside of like a top ten when he was really on his tear, and and he's still so young himself. Mm-hmm. That I mean, him. I think him and Ja are ahead of Anthony Edwards personally for me. But Ant is not far behind either of those guys in the slightest. Like he is, he is right there with those guys. Only, only one year really separating those guys. Yeah, and and, and is it, it's really close. It's damn close, Maxwell. But you would yeah. take Anthony Edwards because I yeah I think the the difference with those two is I think they're both a little more adept at creating for others. I mean, Jot's pretty clear just because he's a, sort of a more traditional point guard. Uh, but Zion, you know, was doing a phenomenal job of distributing during that season. 
I think it really comes down to how you feel about science injury history. And then also just schematically, I think it's probably easier to build around Edwards, maybe just because it's tough when you have a guy Zion size, given what his defenses looked like. Um, it's, it's easy to get a little bit concerned about what that might look like in the playoffs. I, I agree. I think it all, at the end of the day, even some of the defensive stuff, in my opinion, has always come back to the health and really what, what, what type of load do they want Zion carrying on both ends of the floor every single mm-hmm. night when you already have some of these concerns. If you want him to do everything that he does offensively, which is attacking the basket at an astronomical rate, along with being the presence that he is on the offensive glass, there's just only so much you can ask of him to be sprinting back on the other end and, and playing defense to the level that he very well is capable of if he's athletically right and, and he's physically right. But that's just that, that, that is a lot to ask of, of that body with, with how it is on both mm-hmm. sides of the ball, which is really that that's been the big thing for me. I, I, I think with defense, I, I'm one of these conspiracy theorists where I, I think Zion is, is very much so capable of playing good NBA defense. I think he more so saves himself for for the offensive side of the ball but when you just when you do wrap all the all that back up to the physical concerns yeah it's it's much easier to make an argument for anthony edwards who just seems to be an absolute freak of nature he he, at least right now he doesn't have any real injury history that we can speak to Mm -hmm. so he just seems like a much safer bet i guess to play out a longer career than zion but i'm i'm personally still taking the apex of Zion Williamson. Cause if Anthony Edwards doesn't have a ceiling, I don't know where it stops for, for Zion Williamson. Then like that dude, I, I will put no limits mm-hmm. on that man. If he's healthy, that's just, that's the regard I've held him in since before his draft. So yeah, but it, I, just historically, yeah, historically it's considered good to be 61% from the field on 17 field goal attempts per game. <laughs> that's, Generally, like when you look at the history of basketball, guys who do that tend to be good. So, so what's so what's stopping what's stopping Anthony Edwards from being like a 50, 40, 90 guy in, in the NBA? Like, I think the stroke's clean. I think, yeah, I think he could definitely get there from the free throw line. We, we know what he can do from the perimeter from beyond the arc. It's, it's, it's really the biggest part of his game is what, what I touched on and then what you mentioned is really it comes back to is he willing to get all the way to the basket and Mm. get more efficient looks around the rim versus settling for some of these pull-up jump shots? And and I feel the more I've watched Anthony Edwards, the more I've listened to him, I think the maturity is going to be there for him to make better decisions with the ball in his hands and settle less. And it usually takes some of these guys like three to four to five years to get that mindset, like if I just go and attack all the time because of who I am and how great I am, I'm either going to have an opportunity close enough to the basket, or I'm going to command so much attention from the defense that if I recognize that passing window, it's going to be there for me. So that leads to less mid-range shots, which can lead to a higher field goal percentage if you're getting to the rim more. And you're also potentially cutting down on your turnovers if you don't crash into two or three defenders at one time and you get the ball to where it needs to go within some of those passing windows. And I, I think I think Edwards is going to get there. I, it's never that I thought he – it's not that I didn't think he wouldn't get there right it's just more so i thought it would really take him 
some time. And he's been much better up to this point than I could have anticipated within his first two years. I, I, I always thought he had a chance to get there and, and be one of those like truly, truly phenomenal talents. I just, I, I wasn't confident to say that it would happen so soon. And I think that's what led to me ranking Anthony Edwards below a few other names when I did rank names for, for the draft. I thought it was a little bit of a riskier proposition, at least in, in, in my opinion. Is that, is that what you thought with Ann, or were you always confident that he was going to be this, this really awesome player that he's become? No, I, so I hit him too uh, at the time of the draft, and I did think there was some reasonable downside just because he did settle so much in college. I thought like there were some very real passing flashes. And that's like the one thing I always go back to. Uh, Cause I agree wholeheartedly. I think just his decision-making with the ball is what leads to him settling so much as he gets a little bit stuck. Um, but yeah, I mean, in college, he took a ton of threes, but he was like a 29.4% free through uh, three point shooter. And I don't think I fully appreciated how much volume meant at the time. Yeah. Um, so I think I viewed that more as he is just launching as opposed to, well, if he cuts out some of the bad ones, it's, it's going to be better. Um, so I did think that there was a chance that he could come in and just not manage to score that efficiently. Uh, this is a guy that was, yeah, 40.2% from the field, 29.4% from three. So obviously a good free throw shooter, but I did think that there was a chance that he might come in he might shoot inefficiently and he would end up being more of like this just high energy athletic power guard wing sort of guy than like a polished starter, uh, which is what he's turned into rather fast. But I did think there was a world where he ended up as a guy who like doesn't start. Like I thought that was a very realistic outcome. So you mentioned you had a number two. Yeah. And you have another guy in your top tier i do don't i do not have this guy that's fair my top tier i have him in the tier below Mm -hmm. because i just don't know if i can actually see Lamelo ball being an mvp caliber player i certainly think Uh he can he can be an all-star right like he can be a one or two-time all-star but when you talk about even if you want to categorize your tier one as you do which is like can't all nba yeah an all nba performer you can't get there. I can't, I can't get there, but maybe, okay. maybe you can sell me. Why, why do you still have him in that top tier? Yeah. So, so Lamella was number one on my board the okay. year of that draft. And I still think he has a chance to be an all NBA level player. I think that he is on a team right now that did not do very much to play to his strengths or, I should say hide any of his weaknesses. Um, as far as hiding weaknesses, the only thing you can really point to is like, they gave him Terry Rogier as like his other guard. So that like, all right, he can, he can take the lesser of the two guard defenders. That's it. Other than that, you do <laughs> not have anybody that plays defense. Uh, he, they finally gave him like a reasonable role man target and Montres Harrell who like played 25 games for them. And that was it. Uh, and is also a guy who ends up like falling out badly with every organization that he's a part of. So there's that part of it also. Um, yeah. The Charlotte Hornets right now are an absolute tire fire. Like, yeah. 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 
And so, so I, I, if that's the argument against LaMelo, like being where he is now and not mm-hmm. taking too many steps forward in his second year and that we See, can expect more from a year three well, when ho- more of this is hopefully cleaned up, like that's an argument you can start so, to sell me on. Yeah, so continue to hear me out here. Because the other thing is, I mean, they had Mason Plumley starting at center. So he has not had a center who can both finish and play defense behind him. Uh, their wing defense is a disaster. Their forwards that are guys that don't really defend either. PJ Washington is still like kind of more of an idea than a player in some ways. And like gets, get put, gets put into unfortunate positions. He's like a little too small to play center. Uh, and they try to play him there a lot and he ends up giving up buckets, even though he is a good defender, but it's, it's just not the right role for him. And he's forced to play it a lot. I actually think LaMelo got a little better at parts of his game this year. Um, his assist numbers went up even higher. I mean, their, their offense was good. Uh, he's probably not going to have miles bridges next season. At least I personally <laughs> do not believe he should have miles bridges uh, at his disposal next season. Um, I, 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 I would be shocked. Yeah, I, I, I would be too. Um, but he got better at the free throw line. He got better from three. He took more threes. His numbers went up. His turnover numbers barely inched up. Um, defensively, look, he, he's a space cadet. Like he's, he's not an attentive defender. He's not an engaged defender at the point of attack. He's too willing to let guys get by him, uh, which is a massive problem when you don't have room protection. Um, as, as I've laid out, uh, he's another guy who's got to be more willing to embrace contact and he's got to get stronger. Like he, he is still not where he needs to be as far as a threat to just finish through contact at the rim. Um, but his field goal percentage around the basket went up, but he took, he took 10% fewer shots from three feet and in this season. He's got to get downhill. Um, but I think a lot of this is fixable. I, I don't think he's ever going to be a good defender, but I think it's really hard to find guys that are producing at his level at age 20. We're talking about 20 points, seven rebounds, seven and a half assists, shoot, you know, 39% from three on seven and a half a game. He, he's just got to get stronger. He's got to get to the line and he's just got to be a little bit more under control. And I think that's within him. But again, he's on the Hornets who do not have a good team. They're going to be a worse team next season than they were this season. And they're a fundamentally unserious organization. They, they found out that Kenny Atkinson wanted to be paid for his good, the services he was providing to the team. And they said, uh, no, 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 no. And they brought back a coach that they previously fired. So is it, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I can tell you for sure that LaMelo ball is going to make an all NBA team. But I think if he was with a serious NBA organization that was dedicating themselves to uh, being a winning organization going forward and putting the best coaching staff around him as possible and the best developmental coaches around him, I would feel optimistic about that outcome. Unfortunately, I don't, but I think it would be unfair to LaMelo to not put him in that tier when I think it's within him. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there with, with, with LaMelo Ball. I guess the hang-up for me is that I've already seen Anthony Edwards embrace certain parts of the game where I, I know for a fact his, his leadership qualities, they're, they're, they're absolutely, they're bleeding through to everybody else around him. I have yet to see that from LaMelo Ball. I understand the talent that he is. He is one of the best passers in the NBA without question. 
He has one of the slickest handles in the NBA without question. He can pull up from three-point range virtually whenever he wants. Now, some of those looks would absolutely be ill-advised, but he, he can do it and he can make those shots. And he actually has a pretty decent floater game when he gets two feet in the paint. You outlined everything that you should have about his physicality or his, his lack thereof <laughs> in terms yeah. of em- embracing mm-hmm. the physicality that's needed around the basket. I remember writing the Hornets piece that I did for, for no ceilings, like way early on in, 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 the, in, in the year when I thought I was going to be mature enough as an evaluator to cover both sides of, of, of both scouting as it's well so as the, the NBA. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so hard, but I tried at least for a few weeks. I really tried and I did a deep dive on the Hornets and what I thought they were going to start building heading throughout last year. And, and I looked at LaMelo balls game and there were some encouraging things that I saw offensively, but yeah, it's, it's when he, he, he doesn't want to go all the way to the basket, man. Like no. he, 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 he stops himself and he'll take these really weird angled shots and try to kiss the ball in off the glass. And those are the types of shots you're, you're not really showing me touch. You're, you're, you're showing me a, a lack of assertiveness to do what you know you need to do. And I do, I do think a lot of that comes back to the body. And if the body improves and he just gets to another gear mentally to where he's much more willing to embrace that contact and get downhill and finish through guys because he's freaking six foot seven, six foot eight on the court. And he is as big as some of these wings and these forwards that he's going up against, if he starts to become more of that player, I will continue to buy in. The other part that you mentioned is, is the defense. And listen, point guard defenders nowadays in the NBA, we, 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 we don't have a ton of them. We don't mm-hmm. always have the best point of attack defense in the NBA. I really think because these guys on, on the offensive side of the ball, they're just too damn good, man. Like they, at some point you can try your hardest to contain certain matchups on the perimeter, but some of these guys are just way too good for that. You have to be a sound team defender. You have to communicate when somebody beats you, you need to be able to, to trap to double team um, switch rotate. You need to be able to do those things effectively in unison with your teammates, communicating with them to really be, at the best that you can possibly be on the defensive side of the ball. You're, you, there are very few guys on this planet who can actually legitimately guard at the point of attack and limit penetration as much as they do in the NBA. It's just, it's just so hard to do it at mm-hmm. the level. So I'm not going to hold that stuff against him, but it's what you said about the willingness to defend the willingness to be locked in and engaged and We've now seen that from Anthony Edwards. We did not see that with LaMelo Ball before the draft. That was a big call out. In year one, I was excited because I saw LaMelo. Maybe he wasn't always engaged on the ball, but he was He was at least getting a little more creative and looking for opportunities to force steals or play passing lanes or just do something to make a play on the ball to where he could get his team out in transition where he, where he as well as everybody else around him, operates best i didn't see any more than that in in year two from again i'm not not watching all 82 games of the charlotte Hornets, but from what i was able to study i didn't see more of that and i guess if i'm ranking somebody in a tier one i do believe that you can play and you want to play 
both sides of the ball and you want to embrace what that means. You want to embrace more efficient basketball. It's not, it's not just about the showmanship. It's also about the efficient results that come from playing on both sides of the ball. And it seems like a really harsh criticism for somebody in, in going into only their third year in the NBA, but I'm setting a high bar for LaMelo ball Maxwell, because I think I agree with you. I think, I think he can hit as high of a bar as Anthony Edwards. Obviously it's just in two different ways. Cause he's not the same athlete that Ant is, but I think he can hit a similar ceiling and he can be that type of leader because he does bring so many different things to the table at a unique size with a unique skill set that we just don't see from enough other players in the NBA. But I think it's going to be more of, can he embrace who Luka Doncic has become, especially this past year in the NBA versus only trying to do more of what we know LaMelo can do can he be more mm-hmm. like Luca as he continues to grow in his career and then maybe he can get back at least in my opinion he can be back on that same trajectory that you see him on did I did I say anything egregious in in, in what I said I know we're spending a lot of time on yeah. these two guys no 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 but I, this is going to be the meat potatoes of the podcast yeah I, and I think it's worthwhile um to me I think the big thing that I look to with Lamelo as far as projecting forward a lot of it has to do with, with the physicality. I think that is like the biggest thing for him is just getting stronger and being willing to deal with that. Um, because the guy I actually look to with him, like you mentioned, Luca, I look to Trey young and Trey was always a little bit better. And he like just found different ways to get to the free throw line. Um, but if you look at Trey's year 21 to 22 season, um, he nearly doubled his free throw attempts, like per 100 possessions. Uh, it was age 20, to, yeah, age 20 to 21. Goes from, uh, I was taking a look at this earlier. Yeah, 7.6 free throws per 100 to 12.3. And Lamelo is already like nowhere close to that. He's at five and a half for per 100. But if he can get that sort of leap in terms of just finding ways to get to the stripe. It's He's all crap. Everything Trey does, it, it, it's all crap. Like he manipulates yep. guys and he gets them up in the air and, and, and that's how he gets to the line. It's not, he doesn't crash into anybody no. necessarily. Mm-hmm. He just gets them in the spots where he needs them to take advantage. He, yeah, he can do that. He finds ways to get them to crash into him. And, and yep. yeah, there's no reason he shouldn't be able to do that. Um, I think that is like the biggest thing. And then, yeah, just consist being, being a little bit more in control of himself offensively, but just given the size, the passing ability, like that to me would just open up so much more. Oh, the talent's there. Yeah. I, I, and I, and with the talent being there, I, I would rather be optimistic about it. I I just wouldn't, I'm still not comfortable writing off an all NBA possibility for somebody who's this good and this productive already. Uh, who's on a team that doesn't do anything to to patch up the problem areas that he has. So moving on to tier two, I I have four guys in my tier two. One of them we we just talked about in LaMelo Ball. You had him in a tier one. So that's one of our differences. We have two guys who are the same, but you only, those two guys who we have the same, those are your only two guys in, in your tier two. There's one more in James Wiseman, who we'll, we'll get to him in a second. I still have him in a tier two. I think I'm just still that much of a believer 
in his game and the time that he's lost in being able to develop at the NBA level. But the two names we have in common, Tyrese Halliburton and Tyrese Maxey, I love the both of them dearly. So because I love the both of them dearly, I don't care which one we start with, Maxwell. I want you to choose who do we start with out of those two guys, Halliburton or Maxey? Where do you want to start? Let's start with, with Maxey because I All think right. we had to talk about some not Let, so Let's fun get things the 76ers out, out yeah. of us right, right now. Go ahead. Uh, Tyrese Maxey absolutely rocks. And he took an insane leap in three-point shooting this past season. Uh, he is an absolute blur. He's going to generate paint touches like crazy. Uh, he's an outstanding free throw shooter. He just seems like a great teammate. The energy is always up with him. Uh, he can get out in transition. He's, he's able to just fly by people, whether he's in the half court or in transition. And it's always just collapsing defenses in, in causing chaos. And he's able to make pretty good decisions at high speeds, uh, you know, 4.3 assists to 1.2 turnovers. So a lot of those passes are a little bit more basic. I think that's another just thing for him is getting a little bit more creative with those reads, seeing more options, uh, especially in half court sets. But I mean, at 21 years old, the things this guy's doing reminds me a lot of Tony Parker in some ways, as far as the guy who wasn't, you know, didn't have a great shooting track record yet, but was very athletic, pretty crafty, uh, could get inside the paint and operate there, was taking most of his shots inside versus outside, uh, and just slowly built up that jump shot, slowly started to take more shots on the perimeter. That's that's what I see from Tyrese Maxey. And I, I was honestly almost tempted to put him in tier one, but I just think there's too many good guards and wings to, to do that, to see him ever becoming like a top 15 guy. Uh, but I think Tyrese Maxey is going to be great for a really long time. So I think the, the defense would hold me back. Yep, for that's the other thing. He just does not have great size. In another tier. And then the passing that you touched on, it's a detractor, but in a very minor way. Because while I don't think he's ever going to be the guy to get deeper in his bag and then do the, the around the back cross court pass, or he has all the different skip passes. In his I, I don't know if he's ever going to have any of that, but I don't think he has to because he does have that outlier trait, that speed that you mentioned, and he has gotten so good at getting to his highest gear. And then maybe not coming to a stop and then reaccelerating and changing gears in the way that like a John Morant does, mm -hmm. but that dude will just stop and he will pop whatever jump shot from wherever he's out on the floor and he'll freaking nail it, man. I love how good of a shooter Tyrese Maxey has become. And that's, that's the difference. I, if he didn't have that shooting ability that he's shown that he has not only developed, but is even still developing past what he is right now, if he didn't have that, I'd be a little bit more upset about not having all the spectacular, awesome passes or being able to change gears a, a little more effectively in certain situations. I, I would be a little more upset about that stuff, but because he's become the ridiculous spot up shooter that he is, I'm going to live with him not having some of those things because he's going to be, he's going to continue being a top tier scoring talent. Like 
I, we, we think James Harden's going to come back in like the best shape of his life, or at least that that's, that's the story that, that you and I have to gear up as uh, with the 76ers fans, Maxwell. But like, I, I don't see a world where Maxi isn't the second best scorer on that team, even with some of yeah. the other veteran options that are in front of him. And for him going into year three, being able to play off of a guy like Embiid becoming more of that player that, I was so upset when the 76ers lost Seth Curry because I just didn't think they had another guard on the roster who could play off and beat in the same ways. Mm-hmm. But Maxi has really shown that he can. And the fact that he can be the dynamic offensive talent that he is just by himself with the ball in his hands, with the starters or with the bench unit, and that he can play off of the best star on the roster so effectively because of the transformations and the leaps he's taken in his shooting efficiencies. It, 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 it makes me worry less about what he doesn't have. And just, it allows me to comfortably buy into even more of who he is and what he's going to be moving forward. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I think that the biggest thing to keep in mind is just the talent level at his age. And I think that when you see guys who are 21, who are producing at this level, you know, we, I, CJ Martisani, I think made one of my favorite points I've seen a long time. He said like the false ceiling guys are the guys who are already really good at a young age. And I think that's, that's Tyrese Maxey. And I, I think people tend to kind of cap him out because he's already sort of exceeded expectations. And I think people say, okay, well, well, this is it, but I really think he can continue to grow as a playmaker and he's always going to have those, those shortcomings as far as his size and things like that. It would help in terms of overall spacing and things like that, if he got his, his three point attempts per game up. Um, but yeah, just in terms of what's already there and what he can continue to do. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, I see him absolutely as like a second option on really, really great teams because he has so much offensive juice already. Oh, he's, he's starting to get him up, brother. He, mm-hmm. he, I, he, I think this year he, he's definitely going to average above like seven or eight three-point attempts per game but that number I think is only going to keep climbing because he you just see the you and I see the confidence that he started shooting the ball up particularly in the second half of the year on those pull-up three-point attempts so it's he's going to continue taking more of those and you know that James Harden's going to be able to put him in certain situations where he is operating off the catch and he's able to get himself, find himself in, in easy situations in transition, in half-court situations where he's spotted up from the corners. I, the, the more comfortable he gets with that pull-up three-point shot, as he already has shown he will, the more stock I'm putting into like this dude's three-point attempts is going to keep going through the roof. He's going to keep jacking them and he's going to keep get, nailing them at 40 plus percent, which is, it's, it's ridiculous for me to wrap my mind around how good of a shooter he's already become in such a short order. When you factor in that he does have a really strong build for the size that he is, he's a really thick and strong guard. Um, He, he embraces contact. He finishes around the basket. He has one of the better floaters that we can talk about um, amongst these younger players. Like he, I wouldn't say it's Trey Young level yet, but I think it's it's on its way to potentially being there. At least in, in terms of distance, him and Emmanuel quickly, I swear, they get into like pissing contests with each other about who can <laughs> nail the first floater um, mm-hmm. on the court. I, I swear that happens. But yeah, just the three-level scoring package that he already has. And, and I don't really know where his ceiling is either. 
And the, the other guard who we can talk about, who I don't know where his ceiling quite is, is, is Halliburton. Like, yeah. We thought Halliburton had a pretty defined ceiling mm-hmm. coming into the draft. He was going to be one of these connector pieces who made, made, made life easier for everyone else around him. He could shoot when he was called upon. It wasn't going to be the most dynamic shot creator for himself on the ball in certain situations. But now, now you look at him, Maxwell. He is that connector piece. He is that awesome passer. He (laughs) makes more of those reads and he skips the ball in places that I think to an extent Maxi wishes that that he could. But he also has some killer one-on-one moves. Like he he has a legitimate go-to move heading into his third year that that step back pull up three going to his right. Mm-hmm. that I haven't seen anybody really guard effectively. And it seems like every time I see him take it on film, it freaking goes in. <laughs> like, I, I understand that he, he's, he's lived short up to his defensive potential. I thought yeah, he was going to yeah, be a yeah. much better defensive player coming into the league than he's been these first two years. But the fact that he's been even more than I could have thought offensively from, from a scoring perspective, not just setting the table for everybody else but also being able to get his on command he has he has really impressed me and i think that more than anything is going to determine how many all-star games this young man could potentially make i'm glad that indiana made a move for him and i'm glad that he's part of a promising young core as we continue to move forward for for years to come because halliburton is that is that good of a player i I, how impressed are you with what halliburton's become these two years yeah, I've just been absolutely blown away. Um, if you had told me that he was scoring to the level that he was with Indiana, you know, I think it was yeah, 17 and a half points per game. I would, and you said, at what point in his career will he score that much per game and what will be the situation? I would assume it's a thing where it's like, I, he somehow ends up on a bad team when he's 28 and he's way overqualified <laughs> to be there. And he scores that much in the whole season. Everyone's talking about who's going to get him at the trade deadline. Like that to me would be the situation where that makes sense. Not like spearheading a rebuilding team at 21. That looks like it has some real promise. Like that is not what I would have expected that high of a number. And again, like the passing is unreal. Um, And yeah, the the defense is just not consistently there. And that's always going to hold him back a little bit. And I think the only thing that's like, really kind of holding me back again is just that lack of elite athleticism and strength. Uh, another guy who just does not get all the way to the hoop as much as you would like. And that kind of limits what he's able to do as far as collapsing defenses and, and things like that. Um, you know, not a guy who's going to take a ton of shots in the restricted area or just outside of it. It's, it's just not something he's able to do uh, given his, his kind of lack of burst, his, sure. his first step, things like that. Uh, but he is a guy who very much knows how to play the game of basketball, who knows how to shoot and knows how to find anybody that is open at any time. So he basically told everybody to screw off with, with his shooting form, right? Like he, he yeah. did not care coming in and he knew it was going to work for him. And by God, like, like, congratulations, man. Like it's, it's not only work for you. Like you have a go-to move coming off of what we thought was one of your biggest weaknesses coming into the NBA, which is, it's absurd to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really don't have, there's not really much that you can pick at I, as far as like his offensive game is like things that he's not doing well. 
Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's just in a great position to grow, especially now that he has a team that's putting some great pieces around him, pieces that fit around him. Um, you know, he's going to have a guy who can really get to the rim and, and Benedict Matherin off the ball as a cutter. Um, I, I would have loved if the Aiden thing had worked out. Oh, it, it didn't. It would have been phenomenal. Um, but yeah, he's going to have good spacing and it would be nice if he, I, I think with Isaiah Jackson kind of coming along, he might have a good role target there that helps, you know, collapse things a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I just really love him. It's just the, the lack of high end burst that has me a little bit nervous about putting him in this tier. Cause I, I don't know how much truly better he can get in terms of creating more offense. Like I, I just don't know what else he can do because the physical tools aren't all the way there. And defensively, he's got to, got to show me more on that end. So speaking of the defense, just really quick, and then we'll, we'll move on to, to Mr. Wiseman because he mm-hmm. deserves some words said about him as well. I, I got up on a soapbox a few minutes ago and I gave my my giant soliloquy about guard defense and point of attack defense. And Halliburton is one of these guys who seemingly you can target him on the defensive end one-on-one, right? Does that, does that really like bother you and get under your skin? Or are you, are you one of these guys who you, you can sort of live with those results for everything else that you're getting from everything else he does on the court? Oh, I could live with it, but I would rather it be better. Uh, if that makes sense. you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Do you think know. it's like, more tied to just where he's at physically and just still needing to fill out and get stronger? I think that's a lot of it because okay. I think that if you look at his bad defensive possessions from college, they were pretty similar to his bad defensive possessions in the NBA. Um, like it would be guys going through his chest and things like that. And that's still sort of what happens to him. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think it's partially physical, but if he's not going to, do a whole lot to change it. It it's gonna hurt like where he's able to end up in his career. Um he's at least there, right? He's yeah, he's that's at least engaged. He's, really good. he's at least there. So mm-hmm. that that to me, I think if if you're at a certain size, you play a certain position on the floor, if you're at least engaged in there defensively, and I'm not watching the film and questioning like why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? And I'm questioning your effort as well as your, your kind of awareness as to what's going on around you. If, if I don't think that you have blinders on when you're playing defense Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'll be able to live with some of the results because I just think that where the NBA game is going from an offensive standpoint with all of these crazy jumbo players coming in and being able to do so many different things with the ball in their hands. At some point you got to give something up somewhere. And I, I, I think, I'm willing to live with those results if that's what I'm seeing on the floor, what, what Halliburton is, is exemplifying. So I'm, I'm okay with where he's at. I agree with you. I want him to get better. And I think he can, it's not that I don't want him to, I, I, I do want him to, and I think he can, but I'm willing to live with what I see now and what I have seen because he's given me more offensively than I think I could have anticipated asking for uh heading into year three of his NBA career so that's that's kind of where I fall on the whole Tyrese Halliburton argument but we know I mean we've heard we've heard Rucker bloviate about him and every chance he's gotten in our group chat about how he was really high on Halliburton during that draft class and these guys who just know how to play the game at a high enough level who have the talent and the demeanor to back it up 
You just, you just bet on those guys. You bet on those guys every single time, regardless of how high you think the ceiling is, the, 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 the false ceiling concept that you just laid out with Maxi, for example. I think that's a really good argument, some that can, to an extent, be applied to Halliburton as yep. well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you just bet on those guys. You bet on those guys. You live with how you feel on draft night, knowing that if you have the, the faith and the perseverance to be able to get through what like training camp and maybe a rookie year looks like, eventually you're going to be coming out much further ahead on, on the other end, because you, you have to teach this guy few things than you do fewer things than you do other rookies. And given how smart he is, he can just make so many different things happen for, for other players on the court. So I, I love Halliburton. I know you love Halliburton. I still love James Wiseman and James Wiseman did not make a tier two cut for you. He came in slightly below yeah. at a tier three and our, like our tier three, I we're, we're, we're virtually on the same page. We have a difference with Wiseman and we have a difference with Jane McDaniels who we'll touch on Then we'll go through some of the tier four names and then we'll, we'll wrap up the podcast a little later on with just some call outs we want to make from tiers five through seven. We'll keep it yep. very simple, but this next part of the podcast, this really like this, this main tier three group for you, the high end of it would be like a James Wiseman for me. That's actually the back end of a tier two. Why are you a little more hesitant to say that you think James Wiseman still might have that, that, that all-star ceiling or, or in your case, you're saying that maybe he doesn't have that ceiling that we might've once thought he had. Uh, I think it's possible. I think I I, so I was a little bit lower on Wiseman coming into the league. He was third on my board okay. coming out. Um, I still have concerns about just his general level of feel. Um, Very valid. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes down for me is that when we look at how much good young center talent there is in the league, I think he's going to have a bit of an uphill battle. I think he has some very real advantages physically just because there are so few centers that move the way that he does yep. um, that I think that I, I had to include him in this year because he's, he's going to be really tough to play off the floor. Uh, he's going to move really well. He's going to protect the rim. He's going to be able to slide with smaller players. That's all, all valid. He's a, he can finish plays. Um, the jumper isn't something I totally buy. I don't really trust him very much as a short roll passer. And I think that if you are going to be more than like a drive and dunk big, I, I'd like to see either a bit more consistent outside shooting, uh, or I'd like to see the ability to make quick, savvy passing reads. And I've just never really seen that from him. Um, and I, I just no, I don't think anybody's of, really seen it from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that with the amount of good young centers in the league, I just don't. I don't want to say I don't see a path for him because it's there, but I think it's going to be harder for him than you might instantly realize when you just look at somebody and see all those physical tools. Um, his field goal percentage was a little shaky. Part of that said he was taking a three per game, but I'd like a little bit more than 51.9 given kind of what his workload was and where most of his shots were. Uh, he, I, I'm not crazy about his hands. Like he has a really hard time uh, finishing with one, especially off lobs. Like he's just not great at catching lobs compared to a lot of other guys. Like you see Isaiah Jackson, so I'm really just, catch the ball with one hand like it's a like it's a, like a uh it's a, a, it's a little nervous yeah. yeah 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 and just slam it right home and like Wiseman's just never really been able to do that uh and these are all very nitpicky things but to me they're the things that 
you really have to look at when you're looking at a young athletic center. And I, I think that they put a bit of a cap on what he can do uh, if he's not able to develop them. So I think everything you outlined ties back to one point, which is kind of where I'm at. And it's really the main reason behind why I think this may be the last off season that I still have Wiseman in like a tier two category. Cause it, at, after this year, we will have gotten through the point where he either needed to show me something or he's just going to fall into a different category because he has been a little further behind in his development for reasons that some of them truthfully are just like out of his control. Like injuries happen, like things happen that he had a really weird situation at, at Memphis that we don't even need to discuss on this podcast. It was that weird, but there were things that held him back to a certain extent. Right. But there also comes a time where we got to take the training wheels off and you can't use the same excuses. You got, you got to ride the bike eventually. Right. And I think where Wiseman's at, he does enough of the easy things to a level that I feel good about. He can be a role finisher. He can be a cutter. He can be an offensive rebounder, garbage guy. He can give you one of those one jab step pull up jumpers from, uh, from like the free throw line extended, right? Like that on, on occasion, like those are things that he can do, whether the three point shot comes along or not, that's a different story, but he, I think he can at least give you that free throw extended jump shot, like, like that, that deeper mid range shot where the case for Wiseman's all-star or should I say potential all-star candidacy falls apart is that what you were kind of talking about with the little points you put out there, Maxwell, there's no real nuance mm-hmm. to his game, right? Like, because I haven't really seen any passing flashes from him because I don't see him do more than just the little easy things to where he's basically set up all the time by somebody else, because I haven't seen more of the flashes of him ripping the ball off um, of a fake on a, on a, on a given go and getting downhill and getting to the basket by himself or handling the ball in transition or being a little, little more creative in the half court. Like he was in high school. Some of those things I saw in the high school film that got me really excited about his offensive potential, because I haven't seen a lot of those more creative aspects of his offensive game come to light on top of just some of the troubling things that we see from him from time to time on the defensive end, having him in a tier two and betting on a potential all-star candidacy really means I'm just betting on the raw numbers to be so damn good that it's really hard to ignore him as an all-star down the road. If he gets the opportunity and he produces numbers up to a certain level to which he's capable of playing, right? If they keep feeding him in those basic play types and he just stacks the raw numbers, can he get to an all-star game that way? And in today's NBA, as, as you pointed out, Maxwell, it's really hard to hit a certain ceiling if you're not able to do some of those other things that you outlined on the court. And t- time's ticking for Wiseman to show us that he can do some of those things or else he will not only move down one tier for me to like a tier three, but he may very well end up at like a tier four level to where I consider him as like a fifth starter shoehorning him in the last guy potentially to a starting lineup, or maybe he's just like one of, he's like the first big off the bench who on occasion can play starters level minutes, but he just doesn't do enough things at a high enough level other than the very basics to where a team like the warriors or possibly another team trusts him to be there as a starter. So I, I won't back off the case yet, Mm-hmm. but he's very close to, to, to me moving him down, possibly even two tiers, not just one. 
I could see that. Like, I, I, yeah, I do think that there is an outcome where he becomes, and I don't want this to sound like slanderous, but like almost like a high end, like JaVale McGee type where it's like a guy that, you know, can just do the little things, finish plays, get up and down the floor really well. Um, and be more, yeah, that fifth starter guy who can, who you can have out there in the playoffs and not necessarily worry about defensively too much. So yeah, but again, your point about the raw numbers, if there's a place he's going to do it, it's Golden State. That uh, is true. He's going to get a lot of easy looks with guys like Jordan Poole and Steph Curry kind of creating offense and stretching out that floor for him. So past those tier one and tier two guys, I have a group of players in my tier three who you also have mm-hmm. in the same tier. I want to I want to pick apart these, these players in, in two different groups here. So I... Let's read off some of the names. So we have Patrick Williams in this category, Isaac Okoro, Onyeka Okongwu, Denny Avdia, Devin Vassell. Those guys are in a group of their own, in my opinion, because I think for, for one reason or another, I don't know if they've gotten the right opportunities to be able to prove themselves at a certain level, right? Like Patrick Williams has had yeah. some of the injury stuff. Isaac Okoro has been in and out of the lineup. And Yeka Kongu has had some of the injury stuff. Denny Avdia just seems like he's, he's stuck in, for lack of a better term, some nights it really looks like basketball hell. And in the Washington Wizards situation, Devin Vassell's been on a really loaded San Antonio Spurs team. They're guys who I think you and I would still bet on them being long-term starters in the NBA, but their cases are a little bit harder than some yeah. you could make with some other tier three guys to this point in, in, in other draft classes because they haven't had the same opportunities. So out of, out of just those guys in a tier three, Maxwell, who are like the one or two guys out of that group who you still want to put your firm stamp of approval on is like, I, I don't foresee myself moving them down. I do think once they get more opportunity, they will prove that they do belong here. Ooh. That's a little tougher than I expected it to be. Um, you want me to say, give you mine? Yeah, I would say Devin Vassell. He is, is he's he's one. Yep. Uh, just because I really trust the shot, I still think the three is better than he's shown at the NBA level too. Um, but he's a, he's a good defender, very smart, connects it, moves the ball. Um, he's like the most trustworthy guy out of this group to me, and the other one that might seem a little dangerous in some ways. I wish I could say Denny Avdia, um, but I'm, I'm too afraid just because I feel like I'm the, like one of the only people that has, I would, I was stunned that you all said him in tier three. So, I feel let's, like I, so let's, let's stop. Let's just stop okay. at Denny Avdia. Before you give me the other name, let's, let's stop yeah. at Denny Avdia then really quick because he, he is the other name who I would actually say. Awesome. Okay, great. I still yeah. believe in Denny because the things that I thought he was going to be good enough at, at his size, to live up to the Danilo Gallinari comp that I gave him coming into the draft, he hasn't been good at those things. He really hasn't. On the flip side, what I did not expect him to be this good at at this point in his career, his showing his defensive versatility, his Mm -hmm. being able to guard one through four, his playmaking on that side, then some of the, some more of the creative passive flashes that we've seen, not just, I thought he'd be a guy who could come into the NBA. And if you got him on the move, making really quick snap decisions with the ball, he could redirect it to where it needed to go, or he could do something with it, scoring it. I didn't expect to actually see like a legitimate point Denny at times. 
for the Washington Wizards. So like these two areas of the game that I thought would be a little more complex for him to this point, he succeeded in. And it's, it's some of the other things like the shooting, for example, like the standstill corner three-point shooting, the easy looks as the ball swung around to him on the wing, some of the driving ability. Like I thought those things would be a little more natural to him up to this point. And he hasn't been able to put those things together, but I still think he can. So because I think that he can do more of the complex parts that, that I would ask him to do to a good enough level, and I still think he can make improvement in some of the things I already expected from him, at 6'10", we're talking about a really, really interesting NBA player still. And I think just as he continues to grow with more opportunity, as the Wizards let him off whatever leash they had him on his first year, and they give him more of the point Denny freedom to experiment heading into year three. Like, I think the more creative they let him be, the quicker I think he can grow into some of those other parts of his game, which in turn will help him live up to that tier three promise that, that I still think is there. What, what, what are all your thoughts about Denny? Yeah, I just absolutely adore the defense. And I think that size, that type of defense and the ability to move the ball are all just great great skills i feel like i am to quote the the legendary mugatu in zoolander i feel like i'm taking crazy (laughs) pills when people talk about the wizards and they lump him in the same category as Rui. and like to me those guys could not be no he's he's better than Rui. and i i was on Rui island for so long but he yeah he's better than Rui. yeah as far as like what i see them doing on a winning team uh yeah i i really liked any of this game i was a lot more pessimistic about his shooting coming out just because like he was a horrific free throw shooter before he came over. And that's like something that he's improved too. Uh, so my fear with him was always just like, is he going to be playable at the end of games or is he going to be sort of a hacker target uh, yeah. that teams can just put on the line? And he's not that um, I, I really still just buy the shot. Like mechanically it looks really good and I think it's going to get there and it has, he's got a nice quick release, uh, but he's just so trustworthy to me and everything he does is scalable to playoff basketball. I feel. Um, so he's just somebody that I'm, I'm fully in on that. I was pretty out on before the draft. I mean, all, all he really needs to do is just prove that he can hit a certain number of shots to justify yeah. being on the court late in games. Like that's, that, it. that's it. He has other areas covered. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not a broken shot either. Nope. Um, so I, yeah, I, I really think it's just a matter of time with him. Like he, it might be one of those things where it takes a little bit longer than we might like it to, um, but I'd be pretty surprised if in like three, four years, he's not like a, a great, great starting player. All right. So who's the, who's the other name? Who's the other Isaac Okoro. Um, it's Isaac. Chicago Okoro. Bulls guy is not going to say Pat Williams. I'm a well, little surprised. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what I like about Okoro more is that I feel like Okoro is a little bit tougher and meaner on the basketball court than okay. Pat Williams is. Um, I, he's like weirdly does not rebound as well as you would think. Uh, and I'm saying this about Coro and not Pat Williams, who also does not really, really doesn't rebound as well as you might think for a guy with his size. So, so those are, those weight. are rookie numbers for who's probably going to be playing a four in, in, in his strength. NBA. It's yeah. It's infuriating. Um, I think that right now, Pat probably has a little bit more offensive juice. Cause like he, he's a better shooter at this stage. Um, and like, he can do some creative stuff on the go, but a like, I really like what I've seen from him as far as just like driving to the basket, seeing a basic read and making it. Um, I really like him slashing 
His he's not taken a lot of threes, but he hit more of them. He's always been a good free throw shooter. And like the character stuff around him has always been really good. And it's just been telling to me that he's always played so many minutes for the Cavs. Like they just feel so much more comfortable with him out on the court because of what he provides them on the defensive end. And I, I trust a guy with that type of motor to put the shooting together. Uh, it does need to get there, especially because they like to play so big. Um, you know, one of him or Mobley has to get to a point where they're like hitting these percentages on higher attempts per game. Like they've, they've both got to take a, a little bit of a step forward for them to be uh, a little bit more prepared for the playoffs. But I just firmly believe in Isaac Okoro. I, I was big on him coming out and I have not wavered in that. I, I just a high motor guys. I always feel more comfortable betting on where with Pat Williams. There's just a tentativeness that permeates his game. Uh, to such a frustrating degree. And maybe that's just because I watch more of him uh, that like being local to Chicago, that it bothers me more, but sure. with Pat, there's, I, I don't trust Pat's defense as much either. I think he's like, he profiles more to be like a guy who hangs on the floor defensively than a really positive defender. Um, he, he's just kind of heavy in, in terms of his lateral movement. Uh, so that's, that's, I think going to be an issue for him. He, he looks slimmer now, so maybe it won't be as big of an issue this coming season. Uh, but that combined with just a real lack of oomph to his offensive game, I, I, I'm just more comfortable putting my chips down with a Coro for now. So I thought that Pat Williams could get to a similar defensive level as as a Coro. I think I'm wrong about that. I think a Coro will continue to be the superior defender between the two. For some odd reason, I feel like I might trust pat williams half court offense maybe a little more i think that's Isaac fair Coro. like that he does the that's simple the hang up for me with a coral like, yeah. i need a coral to prove to me that he can do more in a half court setting on offense like transition mm-hmm. he's a freaking terror when he gets an open lane to the basket to put together the two pieces that you highlighted i'm there i think it does come back to more of the shooting. I need, I need to trust you to be able to not be a, a enough of a zero on offense in half court situations, especially with the fact that Cleveland is now going to continue to be a playoff team for years to come. Cause they put a good core together. They're looking for playoff guys and playoff mm-hmm. guys need to be able to score in the half court on offense later in games to justify being played a certain amount of minutes. And that, that's the determining factor for me between does Isaac Okoro remain a tier three type of player? Is he a long-term starter or is he still a long-term NBA player? Just somebody who might be better suited coming off the bench, depending on the matchup rather than being a full-time starter. I don't, I don't know where I fall on that end of the spectrum to be perfectly honest with you, Maxwell. I don't, I don't know where I fall on that, but I don't want to make any drastic conclusions just two years removed, which is why I still have him in a tier three. I want to believe in Isaac Okoro. I want to believe that he was like a top 10 talent in that draft class. I just personally, I haven't seen enough of the results to get me to like firmly buy in as much as those two other guys. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm still on this Island. Like I'm, I'm still there, but I'm not like, I'm not yelling and planting my flag is, is all I'm trying to say. Totally. And I think, I think that's reasonable. So the last guy you had in your tier three that I actually did not have in my tier three. I had him in a tier four. I know that Metcalf's going to kill me when he hears this, but that that's okay. We're here for discussion. 
Jane McDaniels is somebody who I did have as a tier three when I did this exercise last year. You have him there. I guess the only reason, Maxwell, why I don't have him as like a bona fide starter player, but somebody who I think can play starters minutes just might not be like that guaranteed one through four guy that I'm like, yeah, I got to have this guy in my starting lineup is he just, he doesn't, I, I shouldn't say doesn't, he hasn't put enough together offensively for me to really make that bold proclamation. Like the yeah. shooting just hasn't taken the steps forward that I've wanted to see. I don't see enough passing flashes when he does get himself on the move, right? Like they'll, they'll get him some, the ball in some creative ways uh, when he's operating off of it to get him downhill, get him going towards the basket, get him into pull-up situations. I don't see as many passing flashes from him. I love everything that this freaking dude does defensively. It's just, it comes back to the same thing with Okoro. It's, it's more of the offense. And at least with Okoro, like, I don't really think Okoro's regressed as a shooter. And I trust him more around the basket than I do McDaniel. So that's the difference between like those two guys, for example, for, for me. But tell me why I'm wrong uh, about Jane McDaniels. So, yeah, so there is a bit of projection going into this with, yes. with Jaden, for sure. And I think we should also touch on the fact, too, we both had Desmond Bain in this tier also. Just real quick. Oh, we're, oh, we're, we're going to work. Okay. I cool, probably cool. shouldn't have said what I was going to. We, we're going to get to those. There's two more guys left. We're, okay, we're going to get it. to those guys. Yep. All right. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, Jaden, our, our own Tyler Metcalf actually wrote an article a while back uh, that I should have pulled up uh, where he mentioned that Jaden, like, he had, a, he had a rough shooting start to the last season. Um, but a lot of his off the dribble shooting numbers got a lot better after the all-star break. And it's always tricky because every year there's a million guys that get better after the all-star break and it doesn't necessarily stick. Um, but with Jaden, I just think that there is so much there. And the fact that he was another guy who played great in the playoffs that it really gave me just this staunch belief that like, he's going to figure it out. Um, again, six game sample, but hit 50% of his threes on 3.3 per game in the playoffs. And he was willing to take them. He, he took as many in the playoffs as he took in the regular season. And he, he showed a level of fearlessness and defensively, he's going to guard up and down the positional spectrum. Uh, he's going to compete on the glass uh, and he's going to just provide that defensive versatility. And I know I can, I can trust him on the floor, uh, to, to guard just about anybody, uh, when need be. So. I understand the, the, the doubts about his shooting, the fact that his percentage from three fell off, uh, but I thought it get better throughout the year, um, especially late in the season. It, it kind of came back around, uh, but especially his numbers like off of one dribble, off of two dribbles, things like that. He just got a lot more comfortable with the ball in his hands and, and having to take those tough shots. Uh, I, don't yeah. dis- I don't disagree with anything that you said. I think, let me, let me just ask you one question to close out, then, mm-hmm. we'll, then we'll, we'll move on. Do you think the Timberwolves have to upgrade McDaniels' forward spot in the starting lineup? Like, in order to continue to move towards where we we think they want to go with making the Gobert trade and wanted to be more of a contender in the Western Conference than more of like a back-end player, do you think that they need to upgrade the McDaniels spot or or you're just that confident he's going to grow into that player that they need at that spot in the lineup for what they want to do moving forward? I, would, I, th- I think they yeah. can make an upgrade and that's why that's another thing that played into my projection. Um, how do they make that upgrade? 
I don't know how they make it. That's I have the, no, yeah, I that's, have zero that's my clue concern. How they make it? But yeah, with, given their their draft situation, but I I do see what you're saying, and I, personally, I I would have never made the Go Bear trade, and I would have just let this kind of play out. Uh, and as, I understand as that. would have I, and, and I understand that NBA ownership likes to be more aggressive than I might like to be. Um, so there, there's that, but I think he can become that player. I, I really do. And I think that what we saw with him toward the end of the season, especially in the playoffs, I think it's within reach. It's probably still two years away. Um, but just given the lineup fit with him and go he's not a clean fit as a starter. Um, so if they want to look in a different direction, as far as how they structure their lineup, that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, but I think the fact that go and towns have both struggled late in games at points, I definitely see him in closing lineups. Okay. Um, because Gobert, like the thing that killed Gobert in the playoffs is like everyone's like, oh, like he struggled when he was five out, or whatever. But like Utah, Utah had no guys who could offer like weak side rim protection at all. And Jaden at least gives that. Even if the spacing isn't going to be there, he at least gives you another athlete who can run over and block a shot. So um, yeah, I, I would say I think he can grow into it. But if you told me the playoffs are starting tomorrow and he's got to be that guy, I'm not totally thrilled. And who knows, maybe, maybe next year I'm even more back on the bandwagon as, as I was previously with Jane McDowell. I had him as a lottery talent coming out of that draft and I felt really good about it after the rookie year. Then last year, I didn't feel as good about it. Maybe this year is where he swings me back up. Um, so you mentioned the last two guys. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't misword that a little bit. I shouldn't have said like Literally, the last guy was Jade McDaniels. No, I wanted to save those two guys for okay. last in, in this tier before we we move a little rapid fire through some of the other names that we may mention on this podcast. Sadiq Bay and Desmond Bain are mm-hmm. the other two guys who would fall in our tier threes. And I wanted to save them after, for after those other guys because I think that those two, in different ways, well, maybe not Sadiq Bay. But Desmond Bain, I think, has an argument to be closer to maybe a tier two player than he does a tier three player. It's like a really sneaky It's case. tight. He kind of, like he should kind of be in like a tier two point five because he's yes. already proven that he can be a starter and reliable playoff guy. So um, I, I I've talked about Desmond. I mean, I've talked about Sadiq Bay on other podcasts and other Detroit Pistons podcasts. I've kind of said mm-hmm. my piece about Sadiq Bay, but. Yeah. Desmond Bain, Max. So I haven't, I, I've talked about Desmond Bain on this podcast for you, but I haven't talked, I really haven't talked to you yeah. about Desmond Bain. I want all of your thoughts to put us in a really good space before we close out the podcast. What, 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 what do you think about Desmond Bain? What do you think his future could possibly still look like given his age, given where he's at right now in Memphis? I still think there's untapped potential. What about you? See, that's okay. That's where we might like differ a little bit because i think he is going to continue to get better but i think the pace is going to like slow down pretty drastically starting next season uh so i loved desmond bain coming out he was 15th on my board um i thought that a lot of his game would translate i never thought it would be to this extent because if i did he would have been like fourth on my board (laughs) um yeah so he he is a phenomenal scorer he is unbelievably strong like he looks like a he looks like he could run through a brick wall, like the Kool-Aid man. Like if he was really determined to do that, uh, he is absolutely jacked. And I think just strength and power gets so underestimated on the defensive end. When he was coming out, a lot of people were hung up on the fact that he's got alligator arms a little bit. Uh, but just the fact like what he can do with like putting his chest on guys and just the fact that they bounce right off of him. 
Uh, it matters. It matters when you're really strong as a wing defender and it, it allows him to play up a little bit. Um, I really liked him as a playmaker at TCU, but I talked myself out of it a little bit as far as like why I had him in the 15 range. Cause I thought a part of it was just the fact that he got to have the ball a lot at TCU um, because he was just far and away their like their best player, his senior season. Um, so yeah, you almost averaged four assists a game as a senior. And I didn't really think that he was like a true guy who could play make with ball in his hands. And especially in times when Zhao wasn't available, you saw that he really does just see the floor and make excellent decisions and, and have a good knack of on, on the other side too, as far as like when to gamble, when not to, um, there are fewer players in the league. I just trust more than Desmond Bain is, is what it ultimately comes down to. Uh, he's going to make every single shot where he is left open uh, he's also going to make some tough ones and he's got a game when he's chased off the line. And that's everything you can ask for out of a playoff wing um, because of those same physical limitations. He's not, you know, the burstiest driver. He's not the longest guy. So finishing at the rim, isn't going to come extra easy to him or anything like that. Is uh, that, is that the part of his game you think that holds him? So I, I think that he can take another leap as an on-ball playmaker, as a pick and roll creator, as somebody who sets other guys up. Like, I, I think that's where yeah. more of the upside comes in. Like, I think he averaged uh, like 2.7 assists last year. That's, yeah, I that's think, the one area I see him going like a skosh forward is just, he's going to continue to get more yes. comfortable on an NBA court. Okay. And that's, that's some of the upside I see. Not like that. I think he's going to average like 25 points per game. Mm-hmm. I do think he can average more than, than 18 points per game. I think you can get to like that 20 to 22 mark with, with a few more shots under his belt. But yeah, I, I do think the playmaking with more reps, I think he can get to another level to where he's averaging about like four and a half to five assists per game, essentially doubling mm-hmm. that assist per game average. And that, that makes that Memphis team even more dangerous with just that little so, touch of upside. So, so hold on. So if you think he's averaging like 22 and a half points and like four and a half assists, like why, why would you not put him in your all-star tier? Or do you think that that's a little more hypothetical than like guaranteed that he does that? It's, it's more hypothetical okay. because of some of the limitations that you outlined. Got it. Um, okay. But that's why, that's another reason why I said, I think the conversation that he, he's much closer to a tier two mm-hmm. than he is with some of those other guys. Than to Pat Williams. Three. So maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe like the two and a half, tier is like the best most appropriate way to go about it kind of like what you were saying yeah he's already he's already done the stuff that we're like hoping these other guys can do but another reason why that's so valid maxwell is like if you actually sit down right and and you redraft this class mm-hmm. like desmond desmond beans probably going somewhere between like four to six yeah four to seven in a redraft of this class so like maybe he does belong in his own tier. <laughs> I think he does. Like I, yeah. I say, I say tier 2.5 for Desmond. Okay. Like Sadiq Bay is not as exciting. Cause I do think he's like locked into a tier three more than those other guys, but yeah, he doesn't have really good. He, he doesn't have that same juice that I still think could be tapped into with that Desmond Bain could possibly tap into. So that's, that's what separates those two guys. But those two guys, they are locked into my tier three. They're not going any lower. The, the, the argument is only up, especially for Desmond Bain. Who, who knows? I, I can't predict diddly squat. So who knows where <laughs> Desmond Bain can end up like a year from now on, on my tiers list. Same with Jane McDaniels. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, so tier four, it gets, it's still a little interesting. It's not quite 
as exciting. You have more players in your tier four than I do. So I actually had... Oh, wait, real quick. Did you have Cole Anthony in tier three? So that's where I was going. Okay. I actually had Cole Anthony in my tier three. He was the last guy to, to, to still mm-hmm. squeeze in there. Man, I really danced about having him in tier four, though, versus tier three, which is why I feel like he belongs in this part of the conversation more so than the other part of it. Mm-hmm. In my tier four, then after, so equivalent to yours, I would have Obi Toppin, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Smith, and Emmanuel Quickly. And then okay. you have some other guys in your tier four that I don't have. Okay. So let's just hit on the Cole Anthony, Obi Toppin, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Smith, Emmanuel Quickly group. Who do you feel the best about out of that group of five who you're confident next year if we did this? Like, yeah, they're, they're not moving down. They're still in that tier. Or maybe moving up. So that was – it was Cole Anthony, Obi, Jalen Smith. Isaiah, Isaiah Stewart and Isaiah Emmanuel Stewart. Oh, boy. Because that other half of your tier four, I actually have them as tier fives. I have them as yeah. guys. And I, I completely understand that. I, I would say Isaiah Stewart. Just because I think he is very more solid. than Cole Anthony. God, Maxwell, you came on my podcast to kill me, man. I know. Oh, oh, I boy. just, All I right. still have a hard time. Like, I probably should say Cole Anthony realistically, but I, I still just have such a hard time with like seeing what he does on a good team. The playmaking step forward was very nice this year. I will, I will say, I'm still just like really hung up on positional size and finishing inside the arc. And those are my two hangups. I just really have a hard time with guards that don't have size that like lack efficiency. Um, but again, it's part of that is probably that he's drastically overburdened, but I also, this has been the story of Cole Anthony for three years now is, Oh, like he's just overburdened and he doesn't have good teammates. So he's inefficient. And it's hard to know how much of that is him and how much of that is situation. Um, whereas I know Isaiah Stewart is just like rock solid, but a little bit boring. So Cole Anthony's on what's likely his last legs as a starter for Mm -hmm. the Orlando magic this year. Like, I think he is one of the starters going into the year, but given the other guards that are behind him and, or likelier to get more minutes as the year goes along. If Cole doesn't live up to that that December, November, end of October Cole Anthony that we saw who was putting together like a sneaky, fun all-star candidacy, if he's not that dude and he's the dude that we saw post-injury again where he just – he struggled in almost all facets, facets of his game like he did during his rookie year, then we're talking about Cole being – maybe is he like a sixth man maybe he's he just like a seventh through ninth man he's like one of the first guards off the bench like there's a number of avenues that Cole Anthony's game and his projection could go after this year so he's he's treading on thin ice I I will say that but I will still I will still believe I will personally still believe I yeah and I think it makes sense too because I granted like his his two-point percentages uh, a little behind this guy. It's but, not great. But consider like where campaign was a couple years ago. You know what I mean? Like he's ahead of a guy like that at that same point in his career. 
so I think the idea of like, oh, he's just going to completely fall by the wayside that I've seen like a couple people throughout that take. I just don't see it with Cole. Like he's just too talented for that. And he's already too steady and reliable as a playmaker. Um, but yeah, it there's a, a world where it gets pretty ugly for him this season. But I also think there's a world where I look like a big goof in like three months because he's going to have Franz. He's going to have Paulo. And it's going to alleviate some of the, the playmaking burden. Yeah, he's going to play off of those if, guys. And if Jalen Suggs takes a nice step forward, and then all of a sudden he's taking, you know, nine field goal attempts per game instead of 14, and he's cutting out some of the tougher shots, and all of a sudden he just looks like a much more efficient player. He gets used to the speed and length of the game again. The assist numbers continue to, to, to improve in relation to his turnovers. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, Cole Anthony's a good NBA point guard, and he's a starter. So the thing that saves him is that I do think Jalen Suggs is going to be like that starting two or the combo, however you want to classify it. And there needs to be another guard that plays next to Suggs. And for all of the wonderful and delightful things that Markel Fultz does on the court, as we are well aware, he, in my opinion, right now does not have the same potential to shoot it like Cole Anthony can, or as his reputation would, would dictate. The problem is, is that Cole doesn't have the actual production in the shooting numbers to back up that notion. And Mm -hmm. therefore, if you're looking at who's just the better basketball player instead of who could be the better fit in theory next to Jalen Suggs, like the better overall basketball player is is clearly Markel Fultz. So that's why Cole is, is, is on thin ice for me right now and in this projection and his his projection could change if the shooting doesn't come around to be at the levels that I think it can be because Marco Fultz will just take that role out from underneath him. You, you mentioned Isaiah Stewart, Maxwell, you're going to end, you're going to end the debate really quickly that we had at no ceilings in Las Vegas. Isaiah Stewart, is it worth experimenting with him as the stretch four next to Jalen Duran, or should the Pistons just abandon that experiment and run the other way? Like Corey said on the podcast. I would probably abandon it and run the other way. All right. I, I like all right, I, fine. All I right. would I would maybe try it for like six minutes. Like just <laughs> just throw it out there for a little bit and see what happens. If there's a game where like you're just playing like an injury riddled team and it's you know low stakes and you just want to throw it out there for a little bit. I think it's worth a shot. Um, but I'm not crazy about either of those guys defending at the four at this point in time. I think Isaiah Stewart just profiles as like a great backup center or like we've seen the last couple like championship teams play as starting center, but then not close out the game with them. And that starter mm-hmm. is just like a reliable, steady guy who can like block some shots and rebound at gobble up boards. And I like, I could see him playing that type of role too, where it's like, maybe he starts, but he's not your closer. Um but I, but I really like Isaiah Stewart. Like he's just a solid trustworthy guy. He gives you a little bit of floor spacing, gives you solid defense and he works really hard. The motor's always running. So I, I, I like him. I, I just think he's a real steady guy. Who's going to be around forever. I'm going to get you out of here on two questions. Okay. The first question, this last uh, group right here in tier four, Kenya mm-hmm. Martin, Jr., Josh Green, Precious Achua, Peyton Pritchard, Xavier Tillman. You have them as tier fours. I yeah. have them as tier fives out of those five guys. Who's the one that myself as well as the audience should be the most excited about. Um, 
<laughs> the sicko in me wants to say Kenyon Martin Jr. Just, Dude, just like, do it. Just he, do it. Embrace so, the sicko. Okay, so I'm going to say Kenyon Martin Jr., even though he's probably the least likely to like actually reach this point in his career uh, because he is on a team that has a positional glut of guys. He asked for a trade, which I think was like fair because they have 80 guys to play his position. People are like, oh, Kenyon Martin Jr. is asking for a trade. What a jerk. And it's like, <laughs> That's not like he's, it's not like an ego thing. It's like he want he's a young guy who wants to play and he's been really good. Um, Kenny Martin Jr. makes stuff happen, man. Like he is active. He makes fairly good decisions, uh, but his activity rates off the charts. He gets to the rim really well. He's a guy who's going to slither in and get rebounds and putbacks. Uh, he's a really fun defender. Like he he's aggressive. He can get up. Uh, he's just really exciting and fun. And there's a world where like, if he figures out just how to play within himself a little bit, he could be a great playoff, like wing forward in the mold of a Jay Crowder. Um, and, and like, I just feel like he's the most exciting young player that nobody really cares about or thinks. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I love Kenny Martin Jr. with everything that you just said. Yeah. I listen, the, 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 the diehard rockets fans that you and I interact with all the time on social media, cause we're in the draft space. They, mm-hmm. they love Kenny Martin Jr. I, I also adore Kenyon Martin Jr. I think the kid has a really legitimate NBA future. So I'm glad that you embrace the sicko in yourself and pick mm-hmm. that name. Now, my last question for you, Max. So I'm going to ask you to embrace even more of that sicko. Okay. Your tier five. Give me one name that you just, you can't leave this podcast without getting thoughts about uh, on the feed out of your tier five. One name, oh. who is it? So just real quick, I want to throw in one extra thing, which is just like things like your growth as an evaluator. Uh, I had a lottery grade on Malachi Flynn and that has not panned out. So I previously thought I had him ninth on my board. I went back, I pulled up my old board. Thankfully I did not, but I had him 14. I flip and love Malachi Flynn. So don't feel bad about that. They were 30 and two his senior year of college at San Diego State. Don't feel bad about that. Some really good teams. Um, But I want to talk about Kira Lewis is the guy I actually want to talk about. Yes. Because- like he still makes some really good decisions and he is so lightning fast um, that I think that there's still a chance he finds a way to make that work in the half court. The problem is he just can't get the ball to go in the basket. Like he, he was 22% from three last year. What is it? He which, can't, he can't get the orange thing. He to can't put the, the orange circle. thing in the circle. Yeah. And <laughs> like, it's, it's so frustrating um, because he's such a great decision maker and he has really good speed and like he can find ways to get by guys and get into the paint. And like he did it in college. And I, I, I still like, I can't quit Kira Lewis jr. And he was only 20 last year. He was like a very young player for his class, even though he was a sophomore. I, to me, there's still just a world where like, he figures out how to score. And if he does, he's like a very good fun backup point guard. But because he does lack the positional size and because he's struggling so much to score, like the bottom could really fall out with him. Like this might be his last year or two in the league if he's not continuing to, uh, to figure out how to score. I love it, man. Maxwell, you, you knocked this podcast absolutely out of the park. We, we talked longer than I anticipated about those top three tiers moving mm-hmm. into top a tier four. However, I thought the conversation was very important. I think for me, the biggest takeaway was don't ignore the talent that's in front of you, especially if that talent knows how to play the game. 
Yes. Regardless of if you have any skepticism on what it about what it looks like on an NBA floor, if you recognize the marriage of those two things, and then when you can throw size and length into that same package as well, just buy in, just buy in, just, just plant your flag and be more confident and don't let some of these second thoughts and the skepticism drown you out. I think that was probably my most important takeaway from doing this exercise with this group of guys. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with it. I think it's spot on. And I, th- I just think it shows, it goes to show again, like how much positional size and feel matters, especially when you get into that tier three, like you just look at yep. so many of those guys, especially the guys that like, like a Sadiq Bay or somebody like that of a cell. A lot of those guys are just guys with size that, that know how to play the game of basketball and can, in a lot of cases, they can shoot a little bit. Uh, Bain is another one where I just feel like, I, you know, I, like I was on the show talking about Jalen Williams is one of my guys and I don't understand. I, I still don't understand how he fell in the draft, man. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But, but like with, with Jalen Williams, it's like, why didn't we just like look at Desmond Bain and be like, there it is. Like, you know what I mean? Like same, same thing. Like, and you made that comp and it was, it was so spot on. And I wish I'd like rank Jalen Williams like seventh on my board now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the guys that, that can produce and make decisions and score and defend, like, don't overthink it. Don't get too caught up in hypotheticals. Don't, don't get too excited about, you know, don't, don't be willing to overlook uh, flaws in that department. Cause that's where I, I found myself making mistakes um, was there's a lot of guys that, that I missed on in this class that had, you know, egregious issues with feel or uh, egregious issues with lacking positional size. And I still just kind of went with them and I, I shouldn't have done that. Well, Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, helping me go through this re-tiers exercise. Just do do the big old plug for yourself, buddy. Plug everything that you're doing where everybody can find you. I, I, I say it every single time you come on. You really are one of my favorite guests to have on this podcast. You and I always have a good time getting together and doing this. So thank you sincerely. And everybody needs to be following you, pumping up your social media numbers, reading your writing. Just tell them where they can find it all. I really appreciate that. Like, and this is, this is a gr- always a great show to come on. I always appreciate it. I always have a good time with you, man. Um, so my, my Twitter handle is at bound boards at B a U M. And then the word boards like draft boards, uh, all my written work is at no ceilings, nothing on the written front this week, but stay tuned next week because your boy got a credential, uh, two places. So I will be at the under armor, uh, finals for the U 17 tournament in Chicago this week. Uh, so I'm going to get to see a lot of top 100 talent in the 2023 class. Uh, and then I'm also going to be taking a look at uh, the circuit from prep hoops uh, is going to have their U 17 uh, finals in my hometown uh, this same weekend as well. Uh, so I'm going to get to see a lot of great talent. There some real good under the radar guys, some underclassmen that are really interesting uh, that have, you know, some, some high major offers already. So uh, just going to get to see a lot of great high school talent. Uh, coming up this week and we're gonna have plenty of written work on that next week so stay tuned for that if there is anyone from no ceilings who could absolutely kill the grassroots game if he wanted to continue to dive into more of it it's you maxwell it's you my friend you there there's nobody else who embraces the draft sicko and who <laughs> who wants to go that deep into that sector of the scouting world than, than you do, but you, you absolutely kill it with all of the deep dive work 
that you do. So I, I can't wait to hear about some of those guys that I haven't watched a second of and, and let you get me excited through the written medium about what, what you 17 guys, what grassroots guys do we need to be paying attention to as we continue to move over the next three years through the scouting process here at No Ceiling. So I, I can't wait to read your work, but thank you again for everything that you do. Thank you to everyone out there listening to this episode of the podcast and always listening to this podcast. If you aren't subscribed already, make sure that you are wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you are subscribed to No Ceilings. NoCeilingsMBA.com is where you can find the Substack, all of our written work, the grassroots content that Maxwell's going to put out. We will have a few more summer league reactions pieces. I'll be starting to break down some of the rookies. I think some other guys wanted to get some writing done on some of the rookies and the young guys in the NBA. So make sure you stay tuned for all of our offseason content and make sure you stay tuned to this podcast feed for plenty more of our own off-season content. But until we meet again on this feed, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.